Welcome to the Rethink Leadership Podcast with me, Jeremy Blaine, CEO of PerformanceWorks International. This podcast is grounded in business, digital, workforce, and leadership transformation for our times. My aim is to initiate conversations with experts, leaders, professionals who've got a story to tell and who we can all learn from. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel or simply go to performanceworks.global to access all the episodes to date. I'm sure you'll find something of interest. The need to transform and fast-track the must-dos already on the agenda for the decade ahead and beyond is an ongoing challenge for leaders across the public and private sectors. Dealing with all the moving parts such as ongoing digital transformation, workforce transformation, business modification, at the same time as navigating increasing socio-political uncertainty and instability, all add to the leadership challenge. How leaders navigate the future while managing the present is the modern balancing act that many are struggling with. So is this the death of the rigid five-year strategy? Do we need a new strategic lens? Well, my guest today is Rebecca Ryan, a noted top 50 professional futurist, economist, best-selling author and entrepreneur. Rebecca is all about developing and executing adaptive strategies and works across public and private sectors to help leaders outline their own diverse strategies suited to today's transformational challenges and for sustainable growth tomorrow. Let's hear more. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Rebecca. Please introduce yourself, your business, and tell us something about yourself that not many people know. Yeah, my name is Rebecca Ryan. I'm the founder of a business called Next Generation Consulting. Um, I'm a futurist and an economist. And one thing that most people don't know is um, it's in my bio that I played professional basketball in Europe, but no, most people don't know that I did that because I accepted a dare from someone. You accepted a dare to a play basketball dare. professionally. <laughs> well, I accepted a double dog dare to try out for the team. And then one thing led to another. <laughs> well, that is pretty fascinating. So do you still play now? I, I don't. Um, as I'm older, I'm 50 now in 2022. As I'm older, I don't recover uh, as quickly from injuries. And I simply haven't figured out how to tone down my competitiveness. So I'm safer off the court than on. Oh, just play fewer games. Okay. All right. I'll take that under advisement, Jeremy. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, you talk about the next generation elements to what you do, and I like the next generation strategizing in some ways. And you work with uh, private and public sector leaders to outline strategies as, as broad as urban planning, economic development, et cetera, et cetera, into the long term. So, I'm very interested to know in the age of uncertainty and unpredictability that we are all struggling with now and the many transformational moving parts that we're coping with, how should leaders embrace a more adaptive strategy and what does that actually mean in practice? Yeah, thank you. This what a great question. Adaptive strategy, or we, we talk about adaptive foresight in our office. And what this basically means is the strategic part or the foresight part is about your long range goals. You know, if you're in banking, um, maybe it's to continue to deliver nines and tens, you know, to all of your clients and customers. But the adaptive part is that might look a lot different 12 months from now or six months from now than it does today. And so the idea of having a five 
five-year strategic plan or a 10-year strategic plan isn't unneeded, but it needs to be flexible and adaptive. So adaptive strategy. Got it. And so for that adoptive, adaptive strategy to work, I know that you talk about the power of a strategic North Star. Um, and you talk about that as being a, a, a guide rather than destination, which I absolutely love. Um, and that's a way to create that agile foresight, I guess. I really love that. So could you explain that a little bit further and why it's so important for modern leaders to to really kind of look at and adopt? Yeah, um, the the question is, I think, a really valuable one. I mean, I'm going to invite listeners into this little game. If you and I arrived in their workplace tomorrow and we had one-on-one -on -one conversations with every one of their teammates and said, what's the vision for this organization? Would they all have an answer and would it be consistent and clear? Most people, in my experience, I've only been doing this for 25 years, but most people do not have a clear understanding of where their organization is going. So when we talk about the North Star, right? I mean, traditionally, the North Star, most visible at night, many of you who are star lovers and stargazers and own telescopes, you know, it's a, it's a sport, right, to see what you can find. And the North Star is one of the things that most people can see in a clear night sky. Well, historically, the North Star has been a guidance system for sailors at sea in the night, right? But I, this is a really important point. The North Star is not a destination. Those sailors are not like, ooh, we're headed to the North Star. They don't have the right craft for that. That's not where they're headed. It's their guidance system. And that's what a clear vision statement should be, a North Star, a guidance system. And I'm astonished. I continue to be astonished about what can happen when there is a clear North Star. And this is, here's, I'm going to share an anecdote. This is adaptive strategy at, at an absolute tactile level. So a few years ago, we were helping an organization develop their 2050 vision statement, their North Star. And it was all the executives who were working together. We had like maybe a dozen and a half people working on this. And there were these timed um, communications with everybody, the directors and the sort of the next level, right? So eventually, the draft of this vision statement leaked, you know, it got out. And the reports back of what started to happen in meetings gets at this notion of adaptive strategy. So departments that were working on long range facilities plans, like they were working on 20 year, 30 year leases, do we build it? Do we buy it? What do we do? After they got wind of this vision statement, decisions that normally would have taken months were settled quickly by saying, does this align with our vision? Does this choice to build or buy and how we build or buy align with the vision statement? So there's an example of something that Leaders don't even, once, once the vision is set, the organization can organically um, rally around this vision and help support this vision. So there's a real benefit to having a clear North Star. Yeah, some really important points that you raised there. And, and I, I concur with you that there are many 
organizations and many leaders dare i say it that that i work with as well that are or remain uncertain around where they're going but i think this gets to the heart of exactly what you're talking about perhaps their gaze is on the north star where actually as you say that's more their guide rather than their destination and that is the guidance system because by very definition that means they can be more adaptive in strategic terms, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. They don't have to be on point on there all the time. Because I think that's where traditional visions and strategies have often uh, have often led to. And that clarity, as you so rightly said, gives ways to check progress, check how we're doing, new ideas, how they align to all of those things. And I'm sure I read in your last newsletter that you built on this idea of the the North Star. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you did, how do people tuning in get hold of that? Oh, thanks for asking. So you can just go to RebeccaRyan.com, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-Y-A-N.com. And at the very bottom of every web page, there is a subscribe to the newsletter button. Um, yeah. And Jeremy, I actually have to give you credit because you, unlike many podcasters, you do a prep call with your interviewees. And when we talked about what some of the most powerful concepts could be for your listeners, this is one of the things we talked about. It, it's, it prompted me to write this newsletter. So I I want to thank you. Oh, well, it's a, I don't often add value up front like that. <laughs> so that's very kind of you to say so. And, and I would urge having, having read that as well, I would urge anyone tuning in that's interested to get under the skin of that North star idea, that guidance system that Rebecca's talking about to, to, to go and take a look, sign up for it. Some great stuff in there. So, so here's, here's where the rubber really hits the road though, Rebecca. So let's say that that we buy into this and we buy into this the power of the strategic north star the power of an adaptive strategy what are the benefits of getting it right but the downsides of doing nothing differently in strategic terms um i'm gonna this is this is a really good question but i want to like contort listeners brains just a little bit because there are upsides and downsides of getting it right you know, we've talked about some of the upsides that when you have a true long term North Star, it really resonates with people. Um, they get it. And so they can start to align their work organically. That saves a ton of time and money and effort. It reduces friction. Sometimes you get new energy, like when the new vision is announced, I'm thinking about communities or regions that include many cities. When the region declares, you know, we know that by 2050, we will have more people of color in this community, and we need to be a welcoming place for all people. When you announce by 2050, we will be one of the most welcoming places in North America, people start to align around that. So it's, it's like a blessing and a curse, right? It's like, we're clear, but also, oh my gosh, now what, what are we going to do to help manage all of these additional interests and people and energy that wants to come our way? But getting things right can also be uh, a challenge in another way. And that is sometimes when you get things right, you start to think that you're magic and that you're always going to get things right. And the converse, when you get something wrong and there will be failures along the way. I mean, if we're going to go up a mountain, we're not going to go straight up. We're going to, you know, do some tick tacking, some side to side, right? To get up that mountain in a way that we can get there safely and effectively and adjust to altitude and so forth. So there will be switchbacks. You will have to sometimes go a little bit backwards to go forwards. 
But regardless if you win or lose, I want to encourage listeners that um, if you lose, the probability of winning the next time is probably also a coin toss. So don't just retreat. Pull yourself back together and say, all right, what can we learn from this? And how are we going to move forward the next time? We have to be resilient as we're trying to make a lot of changes. You rattled a lot of them off in the intro. We're, we're in the midst of a lot of changes. We're not always going to get it right. So don't make being right, uh, the enemy of making progress, right? So this is a, this is a journey of progress, not perfection. Yeah, I love that. I, it, you're absolutely right is that still even though we talk about it a lot the fail fast fail often fail forward mentality isn't as common as we like to talk about it I would say Uh, that experimental element is really important because you don't always get it right uh, but you also don't always get it wrong as well so you have to do that but I, I and I love that because when you get that clarity up front and the thing that you talked about at the front is that now we've got to deliver, we've got to deliver for all of those diverse people that are buying into it, then the way we used to do things might not actually work. So we've got to, we've got to think may, may need to think differently, may need to try a few things um, and roll with the blows a bit, take one step back to go two steps forward as you, as you rightly pointed out. Um, And then I'm, I'm guessing just as a supplement to that, specific question i'm guessing that that from your experience of working with clients around this that's an accelerator then if 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 leaders are embracing that kind of mentality would i be right in assuming that yeah and i think that comes out in two ways so when i think of the most visionary organizations and communities that are going through change because it's one thing to be visionary if the road is clear i mean we, we're all lucky if we have one of those experiences in our lifetime. It's far more common, and especially in, in this era, to be trying to move forward where things are very murky, unstable, sands are sh- shifting. So I think leaders can bring two things to this party. One is to create an atmosphere of psychological safety. That's the term that I'm hearing a lot in boardrooms. So leaders can create an atmosphere within their team meetings where they intentionally listen twice as long as they contribute, where they are aware of their own authority bias to cover, to color other people's perspectives, where they um, make it okay to make a mistake and learn something. So um, that sense of psychological safety, like this is a an environment, this is a meeting where I might say something wrong, but I have permission to admit the mistake and I'll, I'll be, you know, I'm not going to suffer repercussions as a result. The other thing that I'm seeing great leaders do right now and is lead by example with their own vulnerability. So like here in the United States, equity is a really important conversation in every community we're working with, every organization that we're working with. And many of these communities and organizations have a lot of white men at the helm. So one of the things that these leaders are doing are disclosing their own vulnerability. So we've got a a leader of a community who has tweeted, you know, I want to be a champion for equity in this region. And, you know, that is so important to see him as a statesman of the community, as a leader of the community, and as a white ally say, I'm committed to being a champion. Is he going to get it right all the time? Nope. 
Um, but is he saying like, I'm willing to put myself out here to be a good ally? Yes, he is. So that notion of being able to, as a leader, be vulnerable and say, I'm not always going to get it right either. And I'm counting on you to give me, you know, kind, but frank feedback. That is another thing that leaders can really do to help create this visionary and adaptive strategy future. Yeah. And I think that it's very empowering, actually, that when when a leader can listen more and contribute less, when they can give a voice in a psychological safe environment to the rest of the organization, not just the management team, uh, as it were, um, that demonstrates as well as the vulnerability, actually, that you're talking about, because let's face it, leaders are not anymore or were they ever the smartest people in the room, um, is that they can demonstrate the vulnerability, but also the courage in taking that step back and not necessarily having all the answers or being seen to have all the answers uh, in that respect. I'd like to go deeper into that, if you don't mind, Rebecca, because I'm sure Let's there's more within this in terms of the must do's for leaders in embracing a more adaptive strategy and particularly how they go about communicating that internally and externally. Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, the first thing leaders need to do, in my opinion, is slow down. This is countercultural because we think, you know, uh, Facebook has famously said we we go fast and break things. And I think with a decade or a couple of decades of experience, we can see how they really have broken things, um, including things that touch our lives. Um, so go fast and break things was a mantra for a different time. I don't think it's the mantra for today. We know so much more now about how um, some decisions require slow thinking. Sometimes we have to slow down and think, okay, if I do X, then what is the repercussion of Y? If Y happens, then what are all the Zs that could happen? So one of the things that we train our leadership teams to do is to red team each other. So red teaming is out of the US Army. Um, after they suffered some unexpected casualties in one of their theaters of war, but it actually goes back to the Vatican. So the Catholic Church created the Office of the Devil's Advocate, and their job was to do background research on people who were on the list for canonization as saints. So basically, it was like, let's make sure that if we are going to give sainthood to somebody, they don't have some skeletons in their closet. So somebody would poke around and make sure that the thinking was okay, the background check checked out. So what we do in red teaming is we train executive teams how to ask each other challenging questions in a way that create psychological safety and improves plans. So there are a couple of great books about red teaming where you can get some of these techniques. We've got a blog um, on our on our website about the do's and don'ts of red teaming. But red teaming slows a process down very intentionally. It in, it invites questions from the peanut gallery, things that the lieutenants and the generals may have missed uh, in making their decisions. And generally, the plan ends up being much stronger and has more buy-in because here's the other secret. Um, our, our client, Scott Foch, who's become a friend of mine, teaches this again and again. He's a VP of strategic planning at a utility. He says, people support what they help build. Yeah, of, of course. And and again, it goes back to that very empowering point, doesn't it? And the the courage stroke vulnerability of the leader to to 
well, first of all, have the mindset to change and then to actually do it. Uh, and I, in fact, going back into what you were just saying there, I do like the point about we're not anymore in that let's break and rebuild environment. It is slowing down to speed up. And in the age of speed and what is actually called the great acceleration, that takes courage in itself. Um, but of course, we prove it time and time again that that's a real benefit. And I must thank you because that's the first time I've I've heard red teaming explained so clearly. And I had no idea that it was the office of the devil's advocate in the Catholic Church that did that. Excellent. Wow. Well, this is a learning podcast after all. So thank you for that, Rebecca. Um, so bringing all of this together and by leveraging strategic foresight, thinking, even even kind of decades ahead, as I know that you've worked with, uh, you know, it's at um, economic level and at city level, you emphasize that leaders and their businesses can become more resilient, more competitive and more sustainable. So what do leaders need to actually do to accelerate progress and how do they do it to your point that you've been raising and reinforcing a couple of times with others engaged in the journey? Yeah. So number one, do some foresight before you do strategic planning. And the contrast between traditional strategic planning and strategic foresight is this. Most strategic plans look back over the shoulder at history and say, what are our greatest hits? What are we best in class at? And then our, our strategic plan is going to say, we're going to do all of that better, faster, cheaper, and we might do some other things as well. So most strategic plans are rinse and repeats of historical success. Strategic foresight brings a different perspective. Strategic foresight brings the perspective of the future. Asking the question, what forces and trends are coming towards us that our next strategic plan is going to have to be adaptive to? So rather than saying, what have we done in the past and how can we do it better moving forward? Strategic foresight says, what's happening in the future? And do we have a plan that is future ready? So I think doing a little bit of foresight, whether that's horizon scanning, talking to clients and customers and some of your most quirky, like entrepreneurial people inside the organization about what they're noticing about the future. That's one of the ways that you can start to sort of do that horizon scanning to make sure that you have a plan that is based on what's coming, not just on what's past. That would be number one. Number two, can you crystallize your vision for the future based on looking into the future into a succinct um, phrase or expression that really resonates with people. You know, it should sound like a clear bell, not like a bell that has a sock stuffed into it. You know, this shouldn't be a word salad of mush mouth that is 20 words long. Here's an example. So in Nike's early days, their vision was two words, beat Adidas or as we say in the US, Adidas, right? So that's a pretty clear vision. H has the vision changed over time? Yes, absolutely. You know, um, as, the, as your organization grows, as context changes, you need to grow. So number one, do some foresight. Number two, clear, resonant vision that can help everybody align to the future. And the third thing I would say is, what is your dashboard? So very often, like when we do strategic planning or even adaptive planning, we publish the plan 
And we don't have good metrics for saying, have we made progress? Or from a futurist perspective, how is the future moving? Did you know, Jeremy, that like the North Pole actually moves? It actually moves. So if you say, I'm going to the North Pole, and then midway there, you don't recalibrate, you're going to end up in the wrong spot. So that that sense of recalibration. So as markets change, as context changes, to have a, a day-long offsite with your top team, you know, and provocateurs and people who are willing to red team to say, does our strategy still work? Greater Omaha did this after the George Floyd murder, after COVID came through, they, they came back and said, let's look at our 2040 plan and ask, you know, has the North Star moved? And actually, they found that two things needed to speed up and one thing needed to slow down based on the current context. But it was a way to align all 300 of those region's leaders uh, and give them a voice in what needed to be pushed to the top and what could be kind of put on the back burner. Wow. I So clearly and articulately explain this. It's absolutely fabulous and worth me reinforcing these three great points that you've made. It's foresight versus hindsight let's not just bring out the greatest hits of your strategy from the past i love that uh what if what next what's happening out there and are we are we fit for purpose for that possible future once you've done that how do you crystallize your vision so it just doesn't become those words on that we see when we walk into the corporate corridors that people now just start to roll their eyes out and say oh yeah that's uh yeah uh um i didn't even know that was it or i couldn't repeat it or it doesn't really mean anything to me uh yeah it has to be really clear and meaningful and then you have to focus on the execution you have to have that dashboard in terms of progress and as you said before it's progress not perfection because this is adaptive strategy but that dashboard has has to be there how do we measure it from day one in implementation terms because that's where we know it can fail with uh with many strategies so rebecca thank you so much um it's been a fascinating conversation with so much insight that's come out of here some great examples as well and i'm totally sure that a lot of people tuning in would want to be uh, getting back in touch with you to continue the discussion. How do they do that? Well, you can go to RebeccaRyan.com and check us out. You can drop us a note there or send an email to hello at Rebecca Ryan. I'm on Twitter, NGC, which stands for Next Generation Consulting, Rebecca, NGC, Rebecca, um, or on LinkedIn. So, um, and Jeremy, I have to thank you. You know, this podcast for your longtime listeners, they know that they're going to get a vitamin for change every time they they tune in. And uh, I want to thank you for including me in this pantheon of change makers. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I was I was uh, quite interested just back then to hear that you've used your Twitter handle there. I just did a poll on LinkedIn today asking uh, asking my network, should we still be on Twitter? Should we go to Mastodon? Should we look at something else with what's happening? Where do you sit on that fence? Sorry to put you on the uh, <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I feel about Twitter right now, and I'm not super active on it, but I feel about Twitter sort of like I feel about the United States, which is I'm going to stay here and fight for my country. Oh, well said. Wow. Well, on that note, I have nothing to add other than to say thank you so much for joining me. It's been fantastic. Thank Thank you, you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Rethink Leadership Podcast with me, Jeremy Blaine. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel or simply go to performanceworks.global to access all the episodes to date. We'll see you next time.